Goodness. Gave me a Bible without First John in it. The word of the Lord. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. We do certainly appreciate the extra verse of Scripture, and it's not, I have no problem with that. Uh, it, is an interesting, uh, it is an interesting section or passage that we have here uh, to deal with the general way that the, that the Scripture itself is laid out. Many choices can be made in doing this. I've chosen to uh, specifically stop at 13. Uh, my fellow pastor has read through 14, which is fine with that. Uh, because it makes sense too. But we will address these, uh, these words. We'll, we'll take the word of the Lord, and I would like to start with a, a moment of prayer. I think it's uh, entirely necessary and, uh, and right to do so. Uh, Father God, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you. Uh, for how you've provided it for us. Thank you that uh, we can understand it. Thank you that it has been superintended throughout time uh, to bring it to us in our own language. I certainly ask that you be with the message today, that you, uh, that you uh, use me and speak through me uh, to penetrate the hearts of those that are here, including myself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, fascinating, we can't, uh, how many times this passage has come up in the past week, uh, even in a plane flight home last night unexpectedly. I perhaps have, might have frustrated some of my traveling companions uh, during this time, this past week. It, it seemed like uh, more times than not, I turn around, the next thing you know, I'm preaching on something to somebody. Nonetheless, I did feel compelled to do so, and as I did last night, also to the young man that was on the plane with me. I say young man, he's only seven years younger than me, so I guess not too young. So, I'll say that, but it was good. It was all good. It's God's word, so it is good by, by nature, by, by definition, it's good. Last week, uh, we had finished, in verse 10, uh, just a reminder, he, he said this, he said, by this, John, the apostle speaking, that by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. 
Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. We see a little bit of the, the writing of John where if you have a little bit of difficulty, it's like, where, how many verses am I going to go? Which ones are we going to, where am I going to stop at? What makes sense to do, do, to do? You know, sometimes, even last week when we were at it, that uh, sometimes you, will, you can take it into 11 and stop there. But we felt, uh, as we examined the passages, that it was, uh, it was more right to, uh, to stop last week uh, rather than go into 11 and pick up 11 where we're at as a, uh, as a not a significant change, but a somewhat a, a change uh, in the mannerisms in which uh, John is speaking. He is speaking to children of God, children of Jesus. He's speaking to believers in uh, uh, the church in and around Ephesus. Uh, some uh, evidence of this uh, uh, that, well, we would know that at some point in time this letter would be circulated amongst other churches. I guess we can take a moment and just talk about that, that these letters, although written to a direct group of believers, that they would eventually, they made their way out to other churches of believers. John would have written this letter to, uh, to a congregation, a small church, uh, he would append this letter to them as we had spoken before. He's at the end of his life. It was necessary for him to write this letter. He felt it was compelling. He was compelled to write this letter, compelled by the Holy Spirit to write this letter to them, to strengthen that church to, so that they would know the truths that he had taught them. Uh, reminding is always a good, uh, is a good, is a good habit to do. Jesus himself reminded the, the disciples all the time. That's what John is doing here. But this letter is written to believers. It's not written to just a person walking down the street who doesn't believe in anything, but it's written specifically to believers. And, and as such, that we can imagine a time that after John had passed away, that this church had this letter from John, and some traveler would have come through and found other Christ followers there. And they would have heard this letter being spoken, and they would ask to make a copy themselves so they could take it back to their congregation. And so... The letters, the Gospels, uh, the letters that are in the New Testament, so they spread throughout the church, uh, the ancient church, and that's how they get it. Uh, although written to uh, believers in this location, it is also viable or instructive to us. All Scripture is God-breathed. Uh, uh, useful for instruction, reproof, rebuke. And that's what we're looking at right now. John taking the the, the readers, the ones where he ended that, we just that statement, nor uh, where he said that the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. You can see by their actions, by the way they act, by the way they walk, by the way they talk, what, what they do. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, he said. Those that do not seek the holiness of God, to seek the righteousness of God, seek to live a likely life like Jesus lived, is not of God, nor does nor the one who does not love his brother. He also is one that is not of God. And when he's speaking of brother there, before we get into 11, when he's speaking of brother there, he is, is speaking of the Christ follower, the, the, the one who loves Christ, not the Antichrist that he's speaking against. Not the Antichrist that he's warning of. But he's speaking that as Christian brothers and sisters, we are to love our Christian brothers and sisters. I'm not going to wait to say this, this particular statement. I'll throw it here. I'll probably mention it a few more times before we get to the end. That as we, as we interact with our Christian brothers and sisters,
it is easy for me to uh, demonstrate that Christian love to a Christian brother and sister, right, who fits the mold I think they should fit into. Who looks the way I think they should look. Who acts the way I think they should act. It becomes hard when that Christian brother and sister acts in a way that is embarrassing in the world, or that I view embarrassing, that doesn't fit my mold. But I would tell you right now, your Christian walk is identified by how you treat the least of these and how you respect the least of these. Uh, easy, to, easy to treat somebody well that you view as somewhere above you. Uh, hard to treat somebody well that you view them below you. And that has no use in the Christian walk. That has no place for Christ's follower. None is greater than any other in the walk, the Christian walk. We are all found as made whole in Jesus Christ himself. It is his righteousness that we put on. Uh, it is not our own righteousness. It is not our own good works. It is the good works that, as Ephesians 2.10, that he has provided before us since the, before the foundations of the earth that have been set before us. So I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, is to look how we're treating other Christ followers. Are we treating them the same way? Are we treating everyone that is a Christ follower the same way? Are we walking that walk? So as John drives this message home, I would say there's probably three headings. Uh, you might find more. Uh, the first heading would be, uh, in the first uh, verse, would be essential or optional. The second one would be, in verse 12, would be how the world loves. And then uh, the third heading would be, in verse 13, would be don't be surprised. So we're going to work through those. We're going to see what the Lord, how he's speaking to us through the Apostle John, through the beloved brother John, and see what he has to say. In verse 11 it says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, the immutable, unchanging word of God. This is that word. Nothing different that John is speaking of right now. Uh, he is, uh, it is that reminder. It's the repetition that he's giving. I'm telling you one more time before I pass on to death, before I end up in heaven with my Lord. It's essential that you understand what I'm saying here. Uh, it's essential as we, as John is, is playing through the, or I shouldn't say playing, that's much too light, but he is uh, drawing the contrast between the light and the dark. If you'll notice in this letter of John has written here, there is no gray area. There is either light or dark. There is either saved or unsaved. There is either righteous or unrighteous. There is no gray area where anybody exists. And so it is in life. There is no gray area for anybody. You're either of the Lord or you're not. There's no fence sitters in the world, regardless of what somebody says. And so John is, is just is that reminder, just before he leaves this earth, I, I need to say this again. This thing that you have heard from the beginning. This thing that is no different than what our Lord ourself gave to us. That the, the light of Jesus that runs as a thread through this entire, uh, this entire letter, this entire, entire epistle, this light of Jesus that runs through the entirety of the New Testament, this light of Jesus that runs as that scarlet thread through the entirety of all of the Scripture. 
the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That we should love each other. Certainly the contrast of darkness is those of the Antichrist that he has spoken of before. Those that are anti-Jesus. Those that are seeking to pull people away from the communion of the believers that is happening at this church. Those that are seeking to pull them away from the well of living water that is found in Christ Jesus and draw them into and throw them into an empty cistern, a dry well in the desert of, of death is what they're pulling them to. These antichrists that are sowing a false message that is out there, uh, that's what they desire to do. Uh, there is no love in these antichrists that he's dealing with. There is no love by them because it is shown in their actions of pulling people away from that which is the living water. They, uh, they are sowing falsehood out there and not demonstrating love to their brother. For if you loved your brother, you would tell them where the life-giving water is at, just like Jesus says in John chapter 4 when he speaks to the woman at the well. If you knew whom you were speaking with, you would ask for the living water that I can give you, the one that never, the well that never runs dry. We can think back to, uh, we can think, think back to the Psalms, what is found in the Word of God and how he has, how he saves. We can think to Psalm 1 where the one that abides in the Lord, the one that finds the life in the Lord is like a tree which is planted beside the, beside the water who flowers in, uh, who blooms in season, right? Who bears the fruit in season, always the living water. We can think back to Psalm 23, you know, behind, by the still waters. These are all images of what God has done, the message that comes to Jesus Christ. And it said, these are the ones that, uh, that, that would encourage us to love one another. Uh, to bring people to the living water, to those that are the believers that are in our congregation, that we would gather them up and speak around the Word of God, that we would encourage them to be in the Scriptures, to know the Lord more, Lord more and to abide in Him. But these antichrists we talked about are the ones that are rending and tearing at the flock that are seeking to take, take away. They are the ones that don't love their brothers. Those are the ones that seek to, that are murderers. Essentially, if there is only true life and the eternal life that is offered through Jesus Christ, if you're pulling somebody away from that, you are a murderer. You are seeking to kill that person. You're not demonstrating love to them. What you're demonstrating is hatred. So, when John says these words, he says, this message that you have heard from the beginning, which would be the new message we're going to talk about that Jesus gives, is the one that we should love one another. 1 John 2, 9-11, through 11, he says, it. as we're going to work our way backwards, First uh, John 2, 9-11, through 11, the one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John says, it's a message you heard from the beginning. Look at John 1 uh, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We have fellowship with one another, loving one another, helping one another in the Christian walk. We're never meant to do this alone, to be a body of believers. When, uh, we, when we talked in Sunday school today about celebrating communion together as a body of believers, right? that we are coming together, as uh, Acts 2.42 would say, right? 
Might as well turn there, Acts 2.42. Just show it, circle in your Bible and say, if somebody says, what's the church? Well, here you go. Acts 2.42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. That's what the church looks like. Fellowship. Teaching. Breaking of bread and to prayer. And this is what John is calling these people to. He's reminding them to love your brother. To be in fellowship with your brothers. You don't have to rush out of church when it's over. You can actually talk to some of the people around you. You know, to be in fellowship, to, to get to know your fellow believers. You know, it's the confirmation of the belief comes through the, the, the treatment of our brothers and our sisters. It also, that confirmation of what we believe uh, leads to our assurance and our salvation too. We are new creations. Right? We are newly born. John would be reminding them of that too. That we, you are a new creation. You are like you were before. Love one another. And so it's important to see that it's not just the beginning of this letter that John's talking about. He's talking about his interaction with Jesus when Jesus walked on the earth. Go to John chapter 13. The Gospel of John chapter 13. This is... At the Last Supper, uh, John chapter 13, verse 34. Uh, a new commandment. This is Jesus speaking. A new commandment. I give to you. And that new commandment is this. That you love one another, even as I have loved you. That you love one another. By this, men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. This is, the, this is the, the teaching that they heard from the beginning. The beginning there is arche in Greek, and it's, it's pointing back to this point in time. The arche is this, that Jesus himself, I, I remember the time John would say to them, when we were sitting at this supper, we, we didn't know Judas was the one that was going to betray him, and, and Jesus said all these words I couldn't, uh, we couldn't really make sense of all, and there's just so much. It was overwhelming. We were writing notes on a little papyrus and stuff. No, they weren't. They weren't. Writing. They were just having dinner. But, but you know, he said he would bring the holy. The Holy Spirit would come to us and remind us of all these things. And he reminded me of this. That's why I wrote it down in the gospel. It was so important to write down. He said, "This is a new commandment. This is something that I, uh, that I, Jesus, uh, the God Man, is giving to love one another, and in doing so." the world will know who you belong to. Uh, the world will recognize who you are attached to. Uh, the world will know that who your allegiance is found in. The, Lord, the world will know who your Lord truly is by the way you act and treat one another. To love one another. It is not a new commandment. It's this commandment. It is love that is founded through the humiliation that Christ put himself through on our behalf when he became like us. Go to John 15, uh, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. The love he is calling us to is found in the in what he has done. How he not only has he loved them, but he has he, he has loved you. 
Look at what Jesus did. Look at what His life came to. Look at what His ascension provided for you. Notice how that is. That this thing, just as I have loved you, uh, loved to such a degree that He would step out of heaven, setting the riches of heaven aside to be like us. That's His humiliation. To become like us. That's how I have loved you. Then you in turn, as one of mine, as abiding in me, are to love one another. To love the least of these. To act out love. You know, this is active in what it's doing. It's not passive love. It's active love. It's actually doing it, not saying it. Is what he's telling him to do. And now look at verse 17. This I command you that you love one another. Look at the repetition that Jesus is doing right here. And we, we have two chapters, three chapters on this one thing. Love one another. Love one another even when you don't feel like it. Because this love is not bound in feeling, it's bound in action. It's a command of the Lord, not an ask of the Lord. He's not asking you to love one another. He's commanding you to love one another. John is reminding this church in Ephesus that same thing. It's not complicated. As the old song goes, it's more than a feeling. It's more than a motive. It's love in action. We could think back to what we know in the garden with Jesus, right? He has sweating drops of blood over what is going to happen. The fact that He's facing the wrath of the Father on the cross. If feelings were in control, probably would have avoided such a thing. But love in action says a different thing. And He asks that it be passed, but knows that it won't be. The cup won't be passed. The cross looming before him and he goes. Don't miss this. Jesus doesn't go to the cross because the Pharisees wanted a pilot once or anything else. Jesus goes to the cross because he allows it to happen. It's not by happenstance that it happened. It's not by the power of man that it happens. Jesus goes because of His great love for us. Jesus goes because His great love for us drove Him or, desire, or was planned uh, by the Godhead that, they, that, that this would be necessary to draw all those that believe uh, to abiding in Him. To bring them in is through this, this manner. It's a command. Turn back to 1 John. If you would, please. First John, and if we go to uh, chapter, uh, we're going to jump forward. Chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And look at verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I don't have it up there, but let's read 9 and 10 while we're at it. 
By this, the love of God has manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In, in, in this is love, not that we love God, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. This command of, you know, God is love demonstrated by His actions to us, and we too should be demonstrating that also. We should desire to be like God. We should love when we don't feel like loving the other. Right? We should set it aside. We should, in, trust me, we do it imperfectly. We need to set aside our emotions about what love is. And we need to turn that love into actions that we do, even when we don't feel like it. The young man I was talking to, younger man that I was talking to on the plane last night, uh, fascinating, uh, uh, just a, an act of Christian love that this came up. It was just, and I, I told him, I said, I'm probably going to use this in the sermon tomorrow because he knew I was working on one. I said, it, was just, it just fits. Maybe it doesn't fit perfectly, but at the moment we were talking about it, I said, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, this, uh, this man said that he had a co-worker. Uh, this man has been uh, gifted with the, uh, the gift of singleness. Okay, It's not to be set up any higher than the gift of marriedness, right? But he's, he had the gift of singleness. And he said, it, it was kind of funny, we were, he was talking to this co-worker, they had the death in the family that was somewhere down south, but it was like this, uh, this ice storm recently that we had. And, you know, she's one of the, he said, she's one of these people that drives exactly the, the speed limit, doesn't like to be out at night or anything like that. You know, she's somewhat terrified about driving to go to this, this funeral that was, you know, six, seven, eight hours away for a family member, but needed to go. He said, I was sitting there and I just thought to myself, well, you know, I could work from anywhere. You know, with the job I have, he said, I just called her up and said, hey, I'm driving. I'm going to pick you up at such and such a time. We'll drive down and get a hotel room. That is it. Had nothing to do with feeling. Had everything to do with action. Right? Just doing it because he was able to do it. He would further say to me, and it's just a, it was just a fast, it was just a super fascinating conversation. We always have to, we should always be prepared, never surprised by these things. But another, uh, when we talked more about that, and he said, you know, I, uh, <laughs> it's funny the way he said it. He said, you know, I love the idea of missions. He said, but I don't like the idea of sleeping on a cot. He said, it's not just me. He said, look at me, I like comfort, right? He said, but one thing I do have is I have money. And I said, I will gladly donate to missions, and I do. You know, we were just, we, we, he wasn't doing this to be, to be braggadocious. He was just saying, we were just talking about various things, and you know how conversations go. He said, you know, my giftedness isn't going to third world countries, because I know I have a lot of hang-ups with that. But God has blessed me with, with resources that I can give to others, so that they can do it, Right? And those are acts of Christian love. I mean, he was a believer. Uh, and those are acts of Christian love. You know, set in a unique place that he is able to minister in a way that, is, that other people wouldn't be able to do so. It is that love that we see here to love our brothers and sisters. You know, to, to walk in that love more than a feeling. It is definitely an action. 
And so we have to ask ourselves, do we think like that? Is that part of our process? Do we look how to serve our brothers or sisters? Uh, do we think of how we can be of service to them? Do we claim to be of the Lord and ignore our brothers and sisters? How do we treat the least of our brothers and sisters? And by least, I don't mean socioeconomic least. What I mean is, how do we treat those that might not be as far along in the Christian walk as we are? Are we helping to shore up their faith? Are we giving them that shoulder to cry on if needed, need be? Are we walking with them in the faith? Are we asking about their walk? Where they're at? Can I pray for you? Little acts like that go a long, long, long way. You see, and you can write this down, the, the love of our brothers is not optional. It's essential. The love of our brothers and sisters is not optional. It's essential in the Christian walk. We always want to keep that in mind. It certainly is in mind for John. It certainly is in mind that this letter is written from a place of love. You don't write this kind of a letter if you don't love or acting out love towards the people you're writing it to. It demonstrates John's great love for these, this congregation that he's writing to. Verse 12. Now he's going to use a negative example of what love does not look like. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother, that uh, and then and for and for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Of course, his brother is Abel. Uh, the Greek term there uh, 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 means to slaughter, means to violently kill, means to do the exact opposite of loving your brother. If we. It's surprising their parents were Adam and Eve. You know, the ones who knew God. The ones who walked with God in the garden. The ones who, even though they violated the commandment of God and sinned against Him, He was still gracious enough to allow them to live. He was allow them to walk upon the earth. Some would say that at the time that, that, that Adam and Eve walked on this earth, that they would have shone with the glory like Moses did when he came down from the mountain because of being in God's presence. But that glory is gone now. They don't have the immortality that would have existed in God's presence that they had. They would have told Cain and Abel about God. They would have told Cain and Abel about the great mighty works that God did in creation. They would have told Cain and Abel of, of what nature of being God is. How He is holy and righteous and altogether good. 
They both would have known. Brothers, not twins. But, look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And we're going to go through 8. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Verse 2, again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of the time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought the uh, the firstlings of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. I do not have enough time to go into the differences in the sacrifices that were given here. Suffice it to say that one gave in accordance with the ordinance of God, the other did not. One knew what he had to do and did it. The other thought he could do what he wanted and did that instead. Verse 6, important. Verse 6 and 7 are so important right here. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. We could preach a whole Christian lesson on that verse alone. God warning, graciously warning Cain that the thoughts that are according to his head, right, and they're coming into his head right now, that sin is crouching at the door. Sin is waiting to go into the household of your life. Sin is waiting to go in to the, to the temple of your heart. And it will devour you. It will destroy you. It will take over you. It will kill you. You must master this sin. And that is a talk to all of us. We must master the sin in our life. As many times, countless times I've used that sin. We all have, have the problem of sin. It's like the burning coal in the middle of your living room. I think it was Thomas Brooks. I think I attribute it to a different Puritan every time because I can't remember who it is. But we're going to go to Thomas Brooks this time. And we're going to say, it's a burning coal in the middle of your living room. If you do not tend to it, it will rage out of control and burn that house down. Cain's house is going to be burned down right here. The next verse. Cain told, told Abel his brother, and it came about that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel and, and his brother and killed him and slaughtered him and murdered him in violent fashion. Slit his throat, bashed him on the head, take your pick. It is not brotherly love that is shown. It is certainly not Christian love that was shown. Cain was jealous of the accepted sacrifice of Abel. Cain of the world, Abel of God. Cain hated the things of God and killed Abel because of it. That's what he did. That's the short version. That's what John's pointing to. That's the, that's the, the, Cain is the example of the world. The Cain, the world, the world as Cain hates the things of God. Hates all those things that represent God. Hates everything that represents the righteousness of God. That it represents the right thinking of God. Those things of Cain seek to divide out the believers. If you're not loving your brother, if the brothers do not feel as part of the community, they're going to drift off by themselves. 
Our brothers and sisters, we should bring into community. We should check on them. We should love those brothers and sisters so that they know they're in community, so that they don't drift off out into the world of Cain's that are out there that are seeking to rend and tear and destroy and kill. It's exactly what John would, John would say about those antichrists that are doing that there, that that is what they're after. Look and go back to 1 John. We'll go back in there. Uh, just as uh, Cain was warned that sin is crouching at the door, you better take care of it. You better actively work on it. You better watch yourself. Instead, what did Cain do? He said, come on in. Doors open. No hesitation. No barriers. Come on in and gave himself over to that sin and killed his brother. The first murder in the Bible that we know of. Slaughtering his brother. The world hates the things of God. You know how I know the world hates the things of God? Because they love abortion. Uh, they love pornography. They love division because it sells news programs. They love war because it makes money. Uh, all these things are not of God. Right? We are called to be peacemakers. We are called to love our brothers and sisters. But I digress. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I mean, we could go through the contrast that, that John gives throughout here of what it looks like to be found in the love of God as opposed to the love of the world. We see it constantly uh, throughout, his, uh, throughout his, his writing here. The black and the white, the light and the dark is what he's giving. Cain is an example of the world. John, going the whole way back to the beginning, is an example of the way the world acts. He's pointing to these believers. He's, he, he's, he's pointing to those believers then that Abel is the example of the Christ follower. The ones found in the Lord, abiding in the Lord. These two men would be that fork in the road. One way of the world, one way of Christ. That the love of the brother is not optional. It's essential. Cain killed because there was no righteousness in him. He hated the righteousness of Abel. Abel of God, Cain was not. The world loves their brothers, the ones that are like them, the ones that affirm the things that they affirm, the ones that look like the things that they do, the ones that say that you are your own God, that you can make your own decisions, that there is no judgment that is coming, just like the Antichrists that are in here. The ones that deny who God is. That loves the things that we saw in Galatians last week, the things of the world, evil, envy, strife, lust, all those things. The world loves those things. The world makes money off those things. And anybody that desires those things is finding themselves in the world. And because of that, because that's the way the world is, the evil systems of the world, they hate those that seek the righteousness of God. I'm telling you guys, they hate you sitting in this church today. And they will hate you more and more and more. That's why we need to love each other, to be in unity, to strengthen each other, to encourage each other, to love our brothers and sisters in that. 
In verse 13, so don't be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. And we'll take verse 14 too. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John's giving those pictures here of uh, don't be surprised when the world hates you. The world hated Jesus first. John 15, verse 18. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it off quickly. John 15, 18. Jesus Himself saying, the, saying these, world, uh, these words. If the world hates you, know that it has hated Me before it hated you. If you were of the world, verse 19, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. John's saying, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the world turns against you. Don't be surprised when friends and family turns, turn against you because of being found in me. But I'm going to tell you right now, there is no... Well, I'll go to this. Stealing from one of the speakers I heard this week. There is no man on this planet who will save you from the wrath to come. Next up, that wasn't from the person I heard. Next up is there's no man on this planet who will save this country. Okay? Your biggest concern is not who the next political party is going to be. Your biggest concern is a righteous and holy God that you're going to stand before. And in regard to that biggest concern, you need to examine your life and see, is there evidence that I believe what I say I believe? Is there evidence of love of the brother? I love Jesus. Okay, do you love your brother? I can say all sorts of words up here. I could tell you I love my brother. I could tell you I love Jesus. But if there's no evidence of it, who are you going to believe? It's kind of like the it's kind of like the it's the uh, it's the parable, right? Where the father tells the son to go do something, and the son says, "I'm not going to do it," but goes and does it. And then he tells the the other son says, "I'll go do it," and then doesn't do it, right? I'd rather be the one that says I'm not going to do it and then do it begrudgingly than not be the one that does it that says I'm going to do it and not do it at all. Jesus gave a command to love our brothers and sisters. And to do so even though the world is going to hate you for it. To abide in His love and be hated by the world for it. Don't be the Cain of the world. But don't be surprised when the Cains of the world rise up against you to slaughter you and to kill you. It is not beyond the realm of possibility that there will be men and women in this room that will be killed for their faith. You look around and we don't think that can happen here. But I'm going to tell you, it does happen. And don't be surprised. But at that glorious moment, when that happens, you will transition from this life to that life. And that will be far greater than anything you've ever experienced before. You will sit at the, 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 the marriage supper of the Lamb. I mean, it'll be, it'll be amazing. You know, so don't be surprised at the hatred of the world has for believers. Examine yourself and see where you stand in this regard. 
check yourself against the Scripture. Is anything that I'm doing look like it? And, and hear what I'm saying. I'm not talking about a list of all the things that I've done that prove that I'm a believer. That's between you and God. Right? And that list doesn't get you more saved. What that list does, that list confirms that you're saved, and that's where your assurance is found in. There will be at the end that separation that comes, the sheep and the sheep and the goats, Matthew, uh, Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Don't be surprised about this separation that is going to be there either. Right? We'll read that real quick. Matthew chapter 25, 31 to 46. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another. That would be all the peoples are gathered before Him, from all nations. As the shepherd, shep, uh, shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. <coughs> and He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and, and, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, notice it doesn't say the self-righteous will answer him. It's those whose deeds are righteous, not for self-righteousness' sake. The righteous will answer him and Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Just a quick aside here, there is a, there's a lot of evidence that when Jesus is talking about this, it is the first view level of this is to brothers and sisters found in Jesus is what he's talking to. That's the first level that this is found at, that he is talking directly to. That's our first, our first missionary acts of love go to fellow believers that we have there. Right? And then in 41, he says, Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you, you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Love your brothers and sisters. It is essential, not optional. Don't be surprised when the world hates you because of these actions. Don't be surprised when your unbelieving friends and families, family do not understand what you're doing. But do take those opportunities and give them the gospel. Try to lead them to eternal life. Tell them, plead with them to come. See the king who I know, who is Jesus. See the king who was slain on the cross and has risen again and sits at the right hand of the Father. Come and see. 
Bring them to the cross. Show them in the Scripture so that they too might be saved. Let's pray. Glorious and Heavenly Father, thank You for this day and this, Your Word. Thank You for uh, just what it teaches us, what it does to our hearts. Even the pain that it sometimes causes in our hearts uh, to read some things, we, it, it, it shows us the faults in our, in our own walk. We ask that you continue to be gracious with us as we are on this planet. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.